I'm pretty good at losing things. That's why they have this black book up here for me, because I lose my black book. And so there's just an extra, because I'm, I'm good at losing things. You might notice I've lost my ring, my wedding ring. I was down at the creek throwing rocks and tried to lift one that was too big for me and dropped it on my foot. And uh, at some point in the process of trying to get it back off my foot, uh, my ring was gone. And so um, I'm going to look for it with a metal detector in the water. We'll see if we find it. <clears throat> but I bring up... I bring up my ring because a ring means something. Excuse me. Ring means something. Ring is a sign of something. It's a sign of the covenant that a man and a wife have made to one another to be set apart, to be wholly devoted to one another in holy matrimony, right? And uh, so, I lost my ring. Does that mean that I'm not married anymore? What do you think, kids? I lost my ring, does that mean I'm not married anymore? No, good, okay. I'll see even the youngest of you understand. I'm still married, even though I lost my ring. Okay, that's because <clears throat> a ring is just a sign. A ring is just a sign. It is not a seal. And we're going to talk this morning about something that is a sign and a seal. We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. We have these elements in front of us, this bread and this wine. And we're going to study them and what instruction the Lord has given for us in this celebration, in this meal. So let's start by reading from Matthew 26, where Christ institutes this supper. He, he gives it to us and tells us what it is. It's real short. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. As they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, 
eat. This is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Now, a couple of months ago, I had everybody get up and as we were going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, I said, hey, should we do it? Should we do it? And I didn't get a no, so we went ahead and did it. You guys, were, if you were, you were here, you remember, I had everybody stand in a circle during our celebration of the Lord's Supper. And that was a spur-of-the-moment decision, but it was something that we'd actually been talking about as an elders board, as a session. And since then, we've decided to switch to celebrating the Lord's Supper that way each time that we celebrate this meal that the Lord has commanded us. And you may have been a part of a church that did that before, uh, but it's not, it's not common, it's not normal. Um, and so, I thought it would be good for us to answer the question, why are we doing this? Why, uh, why are we making this change? Why celebrate this way? Um, and that seemed like a good opportunity to preach a whole sermon on the Lord's Supper, on this sacrament that we've been given. And so we're taking a break this week from Kings for this sermon, This is My Body. This is My Body. Now, I can't preach everything that I want you all to know about the Lord's Supper in one week, but I'm also not going to do a, a four-part series on it, so we're going to try to go fast, and I'm going to really try to emphasize the things that pertain specifically to why, we've, why we're making this change, okay? So remember, the giving of this command happens just before Christ is sacrificed by his Father on the cross for our sake, so that our sins can be forgiven. And so Jesus <clears throat> tells us to do this, and it's one of the two sacraments that we've been given, where we're not just given a command. There's lots of commands that are given in the Bible, but the Lord himself instituted this as a part of what it means to be a Christian and be a part of his kingdom, a part of his church. And so let's look at what we're accomplishing aside from obedience in celebrating this meal. The first thing is that we are remembering and declaring that Jesus Christ died. 
Jesus Christ died. This is an easy one to forget, but it's, but it's also the, the most obvious in some ways. When we take loaf of bread and we break it, this is my body broken for you. What Jesus is declaring is that his body was broken. Well, in that case, that it would be broken, right? He is ahead of time at this meal saying, here is what is about to happen, and then you are going to continue to celebrate this meal as a memory of what has happened. So he does it just beforehand, and for all the rest of the time, it's always been after that. And the same with the wine, when he says that it is his blood poured out. He shed his blood. That's what we're remembering. We're remembering that his body was broken, that his blood was poured out, and that they were separated, the body and the blood. That's what happens when you die. The blood drains out as they put a spear through his side. That's what happened. Now this is a strange thing to remember and to celebrate. Right? It's a, it's a strange thing to remember and to celebrate. That somebody died. Now it's, it's one thing uh, to celebrate the fact that somebody died if they're wicked. Right? It's another thing to celebrate that Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect, holy, sinless life, died. Actually, we don't want to celebrate that, right? We, we think, no, don't, don't let it happen. If, you, if you're paying any attention, it comes to Judas betraying, you're like, no, don't do it. And then the soldiers and the, and the chief priests, and, and it's, it's terrible. And Pilate, and, and, and you're like, he, he's so close to stopping it. Why doesn't he just stop it? And yet his body was broken. His blood was poured out. It's one thing to celebrate that fact. We will get to why we celebrate it. It's, it's another thing entirely to celebrate it by eating and drinking the body and the blood. Okay, now we're talking really weird. In fact, it's so weird that when he spoke of it ahead of time, before this meal, in public, with many who were followers of his, this is a hard saying. And many, many fell away. He said, unless you eat my flesh, unless you drink my blood, you have no part in me. Weird, creepy, disturbing. As a matter of fact, persecution in the early church, this was one of the accusations that was leveled against the church that they were cannibals. Atheists and cannibals, put them to death. 
And so Christians were executed. Atheism, because they refused to worship the gods. So, you, okay, oh, I guess that makes sense. Because we worship only the one true God, right? But they called that atheism. Cannibalism, of course, because of this. Jesus declaring, this is my body, this is my blood. Uh, Jesus saying, unless you eat, unless you drink, you have no part in me. These things spread around because like, I mean, he was a famous teacher. He was doing all kinds of miraculous things. And But did you hear what he said? It's a bit disturbing. Well, we have to understand what's going on if it's not just going to remain a disturbing, mysterious kind of thing. Why do we do this? Why did he command it? Well, the first thing that you have to understand in order to make sense of this is that Jesus was a sacrifice. Jesus was the sacrifice, as a matter of fact. And so, if you go back to the Old Testament and you read about the sacrificial system, what you realize is that they ate the meat of the sacrifices. The animal was slaughtered, the blood was poured out, the meat was eaten. Jesus is the one true perfect sacrifice to end all other blood sacrifices. And just as at the time of the Old Testament, the eating of the meat was the declaration of it being your sacrifice, your participation in that sacrifice. Okay, So it is with Christ that as we eat, we declare ourselves to be those whose sacrifice it was, he was. So that's pretty simple. It's not, it's not real hard to understand as soon as you realize, oh yeah, Jesus Christ is a sacrifice. Okay, that's why, and this is how you indicate that it's your sacrifice. You eat. But why were sacrifices made in the first place? Well, the old sacrifices were made to point us forward to this sacrifice, okay? But all of them are because of sin. All of them are because of sin. And so when we, when we eat and drink this meal that Christ has given to us, we're not just remembering that Jesus Christ died. We are also remembering and declaring 
that we are one with Christ. That we are one with Christ. We claim this sacrifice as our own by eating it, as I already said. But, but why? Because of our need of the sacrifice. So you cannot participate in this meal without declaring your need of forgiveness. It is a declaration of our sinfulness and His righteousness when we partake. And not just a declaration of His righteousness and our sinfulness, but of us taking Him for ourselves. Of us receiving Him for ourselves. So we are one in Him. We are one with Him. So now, we have the righteousness of the sacrifice. We have the righteousness of the sacrifice. That's why there had to be a sacrifice in the first place, because we weren't righteous. And so the sacrifice makes righteous those who are the beneficiaries of that sacrifice. The ones who receive it are the ones who are the beneficiaries. So in 1 Corinthians 10.16 we read, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? So when we share the body of Christ, what does that mean? It means that the sacrifice is ours. It means that we receive what the sacrifice had for us, what the sacrifice accomplished for us, which is that righteousness. And so we're declaring that we are one with Christ. Now that verse that I just read from 1 Corinthians is in the context of the Apostle Paul warning us against idolatry and against being united with some other God. And so he goes on to say, look, you can't, you can't be one with Christ and also one with demons. It's impossible. Why does he make that point? Why is he reminding us of the Lord's Supper, the one bread that we share, that blood of Christ that we bless and share? Why is he giving us that in the context of idolatry and demons? Because idolatry is the worship of demons. Right? So, why is he giving us that warning? The reason is because it's easy for us to partake in this meal in a wicked way. It's easy for us to be false, to not be one with Christ, 
but to be partaking of the meal. When actually we are one with some other idol. That's what we're one with. Now this warning that he's giving us here is very similar to the warning that Christ gives just before he gives the meal. The warning that Jesus gives is, truly, one of you will betray me. Now let's have this intimate fellowship dinner together. Weird, isn't it? Why doesn't he first wait until Judas leaves? Why doesn't he kick Judas out? Why does he select a Judas in the first place to be one of his twelve? All of these things are for our benefit. And one of the benefits is so that we can take heed, so that we can receive a warning. If it wasn't for Judas, if it wasn't for this uh, correspondence between being one with Christ or being one with an idol, with a demon, and the warning that the Apostle Paul gives, it would be easy for us to think that this meal accomplishes more than it ever has. Okay? And so remember, this is a spiritual meal. It accomplishes being both a sign and a seal of this covenant that God has made with us. But it does not guarantee that any of us are Christians. Or maybe a better way of putting it is, it doesn't guarantee that there is no Judas, does it? It doesn't guarantee that there's no Judas. So think about Think about Judas receiving this meal. All it does is compound his guilt, doesn't it? To declare that he is one with Christ. To declare his unity with Christ and the rest of the apostles. I am one of the group. I am one of the inner circle of Jesus. Right? I am one of those that receives and eats his flesh and drinks his blood. He is mine, I am his. And then to betray him. It's a terrible, wicked thing, isn't it? And that's why we receive this meal along with this cautionary story of Judas. And it's why we receive when the Apostle Paul reiterates 
the instructions to us from the Lord in 1 Corinthians 11, it's why we receive a warning there as well. It is easy for us to eat and drink condemnation on ourselves rather than unity with Christ if we are not united with Christ. So in remembering Christ and his death and declaring that it is for us and for our benefit that he died, it must be true. It has to be true that it is for you. If you are unwilling to confess your sins, if you are unwilling to to have them put away from you by his blood and to receive his righteousness, and remember, to receive his righteousness, to be one with him, requires you to be done with the idolatry of the worship of demons, right? Requires you to be done with sin, to give up your sin. If that's what's going on, that you're not actually willing, then you must not eat of the meal. You must not be like Judas and eat and drink further guilt and condemnation on yourself. It is better to be honest and to say, I am not one with Christ. I do not want to be done with my sin. I will not be done with my sin. I will not partake and pretend to be one with him. There's one last thing that we remember and declare by eating and drinking, and that is that we are one with each other. We are one with each other. In the very next verse, in 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul writes, Since there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And for our scripture reading, you remember in 1 Corinthians 12, it declares that we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ, and we are one body, as it says here. Why? Because we all partake of the one bread. And so then in the next chapter, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul warns against disunity in the body. He writes, therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. 
what is he condemning there? He's condemning a lack of unity in the body. He's condemning their selfishness, their greed. He's saying, look, this isn't the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper was a meal of intimacy, of unity in Christ, under Christ. So clearly, whatever you're doing, is not the Lord's Supper. Whatever you're doing is something else. And so we've... If you think about going back uh, to the time of the early church, right away, before the Bible was done being written, there were errors in how people were treating and viewing the Lord's Supper. This has always been a problem, and the Apostle Paul corrects a few different errors here. One is uh, the error of this lack of unity, right? But another is in making it too common. By common, I mean just making it into a meal that the church eats together. We're going, what is it, next week? Whatever, the first week of August, right? That we have our last church picnic. And we're not calling it the Lord's Supper after church, right? There's a difference between eating together and celebrating this meal together. And you'll note that even when Christ gives the instruction, it's clear from his instruction in the order that he does things that this wasn't just a big meal to be eaten together. Why? Well, because they've been eating the meal. And then he stops everything and he breaks the bread, he blesses it, and then he hands out a loaf, and these loaves would have been small, okay? He was not instituting a giant meal that they would all eat and fill up on together. This was a physical meal, yes, but it was a spiritual meal as well, and it was not just about getting full. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, look, you got houses to eat and drink in. That's not what this is about. This isn't about getting Full, physically. I think it's, the reason I emphasize this is because I think it's easy for us to, um, having seen the, the descriptions of some of what the early church did, to want to go back and to retrieve what they used to have. Okay? And one of those might be, well, it seems like there was just this seamless 
meal, that they, this love feast is what it's called elsewhere, right? That, that they would eat and that they would break bread with one another and that was just the Lord's Supper. So anytime people are gathered together, Christians are gathered together and they eat together, like let's just like declare that to be the Lord's Supper and that unity that you have is the Lord's Supper. It's so sweet. But that's not what we get from Jesus' first institution or from Paul's instruction in 1 Corinthians. Christ did this during a meal, but it was not the meal. It became a separate meal. And it was just a small portion after they had already eaten. And so that's why we don't just all eat a meal together or declare that any time Christians are gathered together, that that is the Lord's Supper. You might call it a love feast. You might call it a lot of things, okay? And, and by the way, it's worth noting that uh, the Lord's Supper has been called a lot of things down through the ages, okay? The church has had many, many names for this meal. <clears throat> um, and there's been conflict even over the calling it of a supper. As though, well, like, this isn't supper. We're not going to have supper now. It's not late enough to have supper. So we should, probably shouldn't call it supper. Or maybe it should only be celebrated then. Only, maybe it should only be celebrated at that time of day. Yeah, there's been... There's been a lot of conflict even over what to call this meal. Sometimes you'll hear it called communion. Communion is a great name. So is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is straightforward. It's the supper that the Lord instituted, right? Communion is a little bit less straightforward, but it's a beautiful name because we've been, we've been hearing how we, by participating in it, commune with the Lord. We become one with Him and with one another. So, as we celebrate this meal, yes, we are remembering and declaring that Jesus Christ died, but not just that he died, why he died, and what it accomplished for us. We declare ourselves to be the participants, the recipients of that grace that came only because he died. If he had not died, if the sacrifice had not been made, there would not be this unity that we have with him because he is holy and we would not be apart from his death. And, as I said, we declare, remember and declare that we are one with each other. One body. And that's where... <clears throat> We come to the change that we're making in our celebration of the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> Excuse me. We are going to be gathering in a circle, looking at each other, passing the bread and, and the cup to one another, and 
what we have been doing in the past is having everybody come up and receive from the elders separately, individually, right? And then all going back to our seats and eating. In a lot of other places, you'll see them pass the elements up and down the rows. Now, is there anything wrong with doing it any of these ways? No, there's not. But what we want to do, what we want to teach to all of you and to ourselves as we celebrate this meal is the emphasis on the, the oneness that we have with one another and with Christ in this meal. The oneness that we have with one another and with Christ. Now, the, the oneness with Christ can't be missed when you're eating and drinking of the blood and the body, right? But the oneness with one another is very easily missed in our individualistic age. And so what we want to do is emphasize the corporate nature of this meal. We're all together. We're not in our individual rows where each one of you is looking forward at me. We're all together. Now, incidentally... If you think about the celebration of this meal at the time of its institution with Jesus Christ, it was a very intimate thing. First of all, because the number of people was small. Okay? But have you guys ever seen that painting, The Last Supper? You guys know the famous painting, right? All you kids have seen it too, right? Some of you kids have. Okay. If you were to describe that painting, how are, the, uh, how are the people in that painting seated? Can anybody? Go ahead. What? They're close together in that painting. Yes, that's true. But what else, would you, what else stands out about that painting? Yeah. They're all seated around the table. Yep. Anything else, Liam? They're all what? They're all leaning out. Oh, they're all looking out. Yeah. Yeah, so there's this, there's this element of truth to this painting. And then there's this element of art to this painting. And that's what I wanted, to get, that's what I wanted us all to see. You don't ever eat a meal like that painting in the fact that everybody's facing the same direction. You never eat that way, right? You would circle around the rest of the way. So that you're in a circle. But a lot of it is, is very true to life. The closeness that they have with one another. The intimacy that's there. <clears throat> one of the things that's really beautiful. Excuse me. <clears throat> one of the things that's really beautiful <clears throat> that we see in that painting that is <clears throat> true to life is the apostle whom Christ loved leaning on his breast, right? The, now, I, I want you guys to just think for a minute beyond your Presbyterian selves, okay? Because I know it just makes you awkward to even to hear me say that in the first place. <clears throat> but if you had to choose to be one of the 
12 apostles, which would you choose to be? Wouldn't it be the one that Christ loved? I mean, that's what I would choose. <laughs> Peter's, got his, Peter's got his things going for him and some against him, right? And, and James and John, too, the sons of Zebedee. <clears throat> now, I always get confused. The moment I say that, I always get confused. I'm like, is it, is it James, now Peter? No, I'm, I can't remember who the sons of Zebedee are. So the moment I say it, I forget. Okay, but set that to the side. Who would you want to be? I would want to be John. And if you were at a meal where Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. If, if, if you were at a meal where he said, I'm not going to eat or drink this meal with you anymore until I've died, which is what he's, which is what he's declaring to them, Right? Don't you think you'd want to give Jesus a hug and be comforted by him? Wouldn't it be sweet to just be able to go up to him and with full assurance that he loves you and that you love him to just rest on him? To be one with him. That's what that apostle had. It's a glorious, glorious thing. And we love to have our individual space. I know. We love to have our, uh, our cleanliness. Oh, man, if, if we had, oh, we talked. Oh, we talked about having one cup. Passing one cup to all your dirty mouths. We just can't quite handle it, can we? That level of intimacy. Okay, fine. You can't handle that, but you're going to stand in a circle. Next to each other. Participating all together. Okay, I... what. What I want us to learn from this is not just, oh, we're different, oh, we're changing things, or oh, we're weird, okay? It's the same as why we have everybody kneel for our prayer of confession of sin. Why? Well, it's, it's to remind us that we are not just disembodied brains. We're not allowed to be. What you do with your body matters. You are an embodied soul. And so, I know we like to live in our heads and pretend our bodies don't affect us. That we can somehow divorce our bodies from our minds and our hearts. And, I mean, me more than anybody else, I really wish I had a good poker face. But, because that's what a poker face is. The ability to divorce your body from your mind and your heart, right? If I try to tease my kids, they look at me and like, yeah, he's teasing. Look at his smile. 
Gambling? No way. Can't even start. Bluffing? Nah. Look, look at what cards he has. What do you mean? I'm seeing the back of them. Can't you see it in his face? <laughs> see, what I'm really asking is if can't I just be a stoic? Can't I, ha can't I just not be affected? And what I'm saying is you can't eat this meal that way. You're not allowed to eat this meal this way. And so we're changing it to try to prevent you from doing that. You're going to have to be like looking at each other and realizing, oh, all these people, they, they, actually, they actually do things. They actually do things that I don't like to me. They sin. Oh, all these people... We're all eating and drinking together. We're all one body, the body of Christ. A messed up body. A body that needs to be sanctified and cleansed by the washing of the blood of Christ. That's what we are. Now, thinking about this a little bit further, <clears throat> the consequences of making any change to the meal. And by the way, the meal has been celebrated. Like I said, it's been called many things. It's been celebrated many different ways as well. Uh, if you went back to Geneva at the time of Calvin, for example, they would set a table. Okay? And the table couldn't seat the whole congregation. So, group of people would come, sit at the table. They broke it down into smaller groups in order to celebrate and make it more like a meal. Increase that intimacy. Now again, like I said, there's been, there's been a lot of ways that the Lord's Supper has been celebrated. And they each have their, they, they each have their implications, the things that go along with them. And one of the things that I want you to realize is that every way that you celebrate the Lord's Supper has an impact on everybody else. So what do I mean by that? Well, when you have the gathering of the people of God into one body, and then you've got that warning that not everybody who is of Israel is truly Israel. You've got that warning that there's the one who will betray among the twelve, and you've, and you've got that warning from Paul that you must examine yourself, and in so doing, you are to eat. In this change, in this format, it's a very different thing to not participate. If we were passing the elements along the rows, nobody knows whether you took the elements or not and ate them. Right? 
And even with coming to the, fore, to, to the front, it's a little bit easier to uh, not notice somebody didn't come up. Okay? Now what I'm going to say to you is <clears throat> you must examine yourself. There's a reason that we fence the table. And the reason, there's a reason that we do it just before the meal and don't just consider the, uh, the confession of sin earlier in the service, the call to repentance to be the fencing of the table. And that is because this participation in this meal is a response to the teaching of Christ, to the command of Christ. And so when we receive the command of Christ and the warning of Christ specific to this meal, we ought to take it to heart and think about it then. There should be a response to the preaching of the Word. Even after all of his teaching, three years of teaching the apostles, Christ gave a warning as he prepared to give them this meal. One of you will betray me. Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Or in John, you are clean, but not all of you. You are clean, but not all of you. So here's the command. Command is celebrate this meal. Eat and drink with gratitude in your hearts for what Christ has done. Do it with a clear conscience. Not because you haven't sinned, but because you know you are a sinner in need of just this sacrifice. Do it with a repentant heart, confessing your sin. But if you find that you are not united with your brother, that you have a grudge, that you are angry, that you are unwilling to resolve that sin. If you find that you are unwilling to repent, to turn away from the sin that you have been giving yourself to, that you intend to continue down the road Don't participate. And why not? So that you don't eat and drink condemnation on yourself. It's not because somehow you will harm Christ. It's not because somehow you will harm the rest of us. The warning is 
lest you harm yourself. Now, why would it be a harm to yourself? Because specifically of what you are doing to the body of Christ. So yes, it is a harm to Christ. It does harm to his name to declare yourself to be one with him while going out to betray him. While going out with intent on sinning. Okay, It does harm to the body and to the unity as well in the same way. But the simple reason is so that you don't, by doing those things, bring condemnation on yourself. Here we have this beautiful, beautiful gift. Christ's body and blood broken for us. If you cannot participate in good conscience, I urge you to confess your sins and to be made right with him. And then participate with a clear conscience. If you can't do that, if you can't do that work before this meal, then I'm happy to talk to you afterwards and to help you do that work so that you can participate with a clear conscience next time. But what should it look like? Well, you should still, just as you have gathered to hear the preaching of the word, you should gather with the people in a circle and just pass the elements by. What love it is that Christ has given himself for us. What a beautiful, beautiful thing it is that we can declare that we are one with him. That we can declare that we are one with each other. And that we have received what he has promised. That we participate in the blessings of this sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, give us faith that we might receive this spiritual food and this spiritual drink and that it may be a benefit to us and to the body as a whole. We thank you that you've given it to us, this physical meal, for a spiritual blessing. And we ask now, Father, that you would set apart these elements from a common to a holy use. That as we partake of them, Father, your name would be glorified. And that we would grow in unity with Christ and with one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.